0: This is a Triple J Podcast. Hack. (laughs) Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack Podcast. And I want to ask, are you officially off the clock right now? Or are you technically working while you're listening to this? It's interesting when people see themselves as being finished work. Because it's different for different people, different jobs. Is it as soon as you reach the time that's spelled out on your roster, maybe you're always checking your emails. You feel like you're constantly working and you can't clock off ever completely. We're going to be talking about the right to disconnect in this podcast a bit later because we're talking workplace laws over the next week. The government's wanting to bring in some changes, including maybe the right to ignore messages and calls from your boss or from clients. Do you think there should be a right to disconnect? A legal right? We'll be getting into that one very soon. First though. Hack. More help is on the way for struggling Queensland renters. On Triple J. Oh, you can always tell there's an election coming up when a new housing policy hits the headlines. Queensland is heading to the polls later this year and like everywhere else, housing's shaping up to be the big election issue. The new premier Stephen Miles has announced a housing plan, and he's been detailing a bit of that today. There's stuff in there for social housing, first home buyers, renters. One of the announcements is a ban on rent bidding with penalties for agents to engage or encourage it. And that's interesting because other parts of the country have also tried to get rid of rent bidding, but it's still happening. And we've been hearing a lot of that this week. We actually asked you on Instagram earlier today about your experiences with rent bidding. Heaps of messages. Bridie says, started running a tiny house last year, offered 50 bucks above asking. Now they want to put it up another $80 again. Eloise says, was looking in Hampton, Victoria, offered $90 above and did not get it. And on the GC, someone got asked when applying, how much are you willing to pay weekly? Look, a lot of experiences there. In a bit, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But first, here's Ellie Grounds with a bit of a recap of what the Queensland Premier's announced. It is frustrating going to inspections for rental
1: properties that are in your price range, only to find out that someone else is offering hundreds more
2: or your real estate agent is encouraging people to bid more. And so we're backing the one-third of Queenslanders who, rent their homes by banning rent bidding.
1: If you're someone who's trying to find a rental and just keeps getting knocked back, then this kind of thing might make you happy. You might be thinking, great, finally, some politicians seem like they're taking the rental crisis seriously and are doing something about it. The Queensland Government has announced a bunch of new policies and rules, and the Premier Stephen Miles and the Housing Minister Megan Scanlon both reckon they'll help ease the state's housing crisis. They're doing things like building more social housing.
2: We needed 53,500 more by 2046. And so that is what our plan will deliver.
1: Allowing renters to transfer their bonds between properties.
2: We know how hard it can be to save up a bond. And so we're introducing both more bond loans, but also a portable bond scheme so that when you go from one rental to another, there's a seamless transfer of your bond.
1: Building more accommodation for young people at risk of homelessness. Eight new youth foyers across the state. It's for people aged between 16 and 25 years of age. And doing this. We are banning all types of red bidding in Queensland. It wastes your time and it simply isn't fair. Renters shouldn't be played off against each other. By the way, rent bidding is where you offer more money than the advertised price to get you over the line and hopefully secure your place. Just in case you're lucky enough to have never had to do it. But so many of you messaged us saying you have. I'm in Newy and paid $100 on top of the listed price to get the property.
0: We secured our rental in Geelong by rental bidding. We felt like it was our only choice as uni students.
1: The rentals in Perth are unaffordable from the start, but they become impossible with bidding every time. We're going to come back to rental bidding in a bit, but first, some grim numbers. The rental and housing crisis is nothing new, but the situation just appears to be getting worse. Last year, asking rents across the country increased by 8.3%. The year before, it was 9.5%. The year before that, it was 9.6%. And a couple of weeks ago, Australia's rental prices reached a new record high.
3: The average across the country is now more than $600 a week.
1: And South East Queensland appears to be the worst place to deal with the cost of living crisis. With the cost of rent, electricity, insurance and healthcare all rising in a way that it isn't rising in the rest of the country. So the announcements in Queensland are pretty timely. The government's going hard on spooking the rent-bid ban in particular. Right now in Queensland, it's already kinda banned. Agents aren't allowed to ask for or encourage bids, but that doesn't mean they can't accept them. So those rules, which are the same for other states including New South Wales, actually don't really do much, according to Leo Patterson-Ross from the New South Wales Tenants Union. So what they have to say, if you say, can I offer bids or uh, are you accepting bids, they have to say under New South Wales Tenancy Law, I can't encourage you to make a bid. They can if you say to them, I want to offer you $10 more over the rent price, they can accept that. And I think a lot of people get confused about the role of agents, but their job is very clearly to make money for the landlord until the landlord tells them, I don't want you to do that or until the law stops them. And that's exactly the kind of law the Queensland government wants to bring in. It says it will ban real estate agents and landlords from accepting higher bids and bring in penalties for those who do. Hack on Triple J.
0: Ellie Grounds with that update. A lot of messages coming through on this one, especially about the rent bidding. We've also got calls as well. Ash is on the line from Perth. G'day, Ash. What's been your experience? Have you had some issue with rent bidding lately?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, We were looking
3: at renting couple properties and weren't getting anywhere, so thought we'd offer a bit more. Um, One property in particular, we offered about $60 more a week, so verging into low $700 a week, and no one at the viewing thought we were solid, didn't even get told we were rejected. Um,
0: had to find out online by seeing that it <sighs> had been leased. <laughs> oh, that's so annoying, it's, especially when you feel like you're doing everything you can to try and get a place, and that's what we're hearing on the text line as well. Hey, Ash, thank you very much for calling in with your experience from Perth. Someone says, I'm moving interstate to Victoria, and when applying for a place, got told there were 30 applicants, and people would offer more. I called them out on it and said um, it doesn't change. and they, they said it doesn't change what's happening, so offered $80 more then asking just to make sure I have a place to live when I get there. People are doing it, even when we know that maybe it is against the law, that the governments around the country don't want this to be the practice. People are feeling there's no other option. I want to break down this and housing policy more broadly with Dr. Chris Martin. He's from the UNSW City Futures Research Centre. He is an expert in rental and housing affordability. G'day, Chris. Thanks for coming on Hack no worries at first glance what do you reckon about the Queensland premier's big housing policy that he's announced
2: yeah well uh, it's a good thing in the first place that rental housing and renters rights are, um, are at the center of, um, of a state election campaign so th- that that's an advance on on uh, previous years when rental housing wasn't really considered part of housing policy um, there's Uh, Some other things I think that really should be law reform priorities for Queensland. The rent bidding thing is, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that works out, but it's, it's actually a really tricky thing. To, um, to properly regulate.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that and we'll get into some of the other aspects of this housing policy in a bit, but we've seen other parts of the country try to stamp out rent bidding but as we're hearing from our audience it's still happening, it's still everywhere and there have been tenants unions in New South Wales, elsewhere saying the current rules are not working. How do we stop it?
2: Yeah, um, so the current rules for most states in Australia are that agents and landlords aren't allowed to solicit a higher bid from from applicants. And that that rule is completely fair enough and that that should be the rule. So um, if an agent says to you, how about you offer a little bit more? Or they say, oh, we've had all these higher bids, why don't you try to match it? That's not on in most states and territories and, and fair enough too. Um, there is also another um, dodgy practice uh, that has Turned up from time to time. I'm not sure if this is what's happening now, but that there were there used to be uh, characters in the real estate industry who sold training courses in how to do this. They the, the idea was advertise at a rent that the landlord you know thought was low. They didn't really want it that low, but the idea was that you'd get all of these people uh, turning up at the open house. Uh, a whole lot of people attracted to this l- lowball. Advertise rent right. and then watch them bid against each other and, and sort of uh, create the circumstances for frenzied frenzy bidding. So that's another bit of sharp practice, and that's dishonest. And real estate agents and landlords shouldn't be doing that either. And the, and that should be picked up by states' rules against uh, deception uh, deception in, in advertising. Please. It gets trickier though if you're trying to, if regulators are trying to stop. Applicants from uh, of their own volition, or or because they're you know, desperate for housing, of of making a, a higher offer themselves, and that's that's something that's really hard to regulate. Um, no state or territory currently does it. Victoria has said that they want to do it, and now Queensland is saying that they want to stop real estate agents from taking those unsolicited higher bids from applicants. Yeah,
0: and that's kind of the difference with some other policies, I guess, that it's gone maybe a step further and said it's going to be against the law to even do it, to, to practice it, not just to ask for it. Got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, I was accepted to a rental property with it being 470 bucks a week. Upon process, they upped it to $500 as they can see what your maximum limit is when searching online. I questioned it and they said they'll have to pull my application out and reapply. Another person says banning rent bidding can never work. It's impossible to regulate prices. Someone's opinion there. Maya from ui is on the phone. G'day Maya, what's been your experience?
3: Hey, yeah. So I guess um me and a group of mates had been applying these while studying at uni. Um had absolutely zero luck and approximately twenty to thirty unsuccessful applications. And um, yeah, we're at our wits' end, I guess. So we applied for a property that was listed at about 680 a week and put in an offer to pay a hundred dollars a week more.
0: (laughs) And so what happened?
3: Yeah. So we got it in the end. I think, um, you know, we'd had so many unsuccessful applications that, um, yeah, it was the only thing that we could do to get a roof over our heads. Yeah.
0: And that's what we're hearing loud and clear from a lot of other people. It's like someone Maya was messaging us today saying that they overheard someone at an inspection who offered a whole year's rent to try and secure property saying oh we'll just pay for the whole year thanks so that's the kind of competition you're up against it's a nightmare hey Maya thank you very much for calling in with your experience I really appreciate it another person in Newcastle says I'm a doctor currently kind of homeless couch surfing at a friend's place I've got a secure job happy to pay whatever for a place and financially able to do so still haven't been able to find anywhere despite many many applications and a month and a half of searching it terrifies me that with all of this going for me, I can't find a place. This is Hack. I'm Dave marchese I'm speaking with Dr. Chris Martin from the UNSW City Futures Research Centre. We're speaking about housing policy broadly, also specifically what the Queensland government's announced this week ahead of the state election coming up later this year, and rent bidding, which has been a component of that announcement, trying to crack down on that. Chris, can I ask you about some other parts of this policy? Late last year, the Queensland Government doubled the first homeowner grant to 30 grand, the most of any state in mainland Australia. Do you reckon this kind of policy does help young people get into the property market?
2: No. No. No, it's an expensive oh. way of making houses more expensive. Um, what it, uh, This sort of thing, state governments have been doing this for um, quite some time. Um, we, for a research project, we counted up how much state governments have spent on first homeowner's grants. Over the last decade, it's $20 billion, uh, and that hasn't really moved the needle on home ownership rates. Um, the, the pattern is that... Um, they, they end up getting priced into, into house prices and there's a bit of a pattern of state governments then feeling like they have to do a boost, uh, boosting the amount to an even higher amount and that that does sort of get um, get new buyers in. People get excited by the prospect of getting this $30,000 grant. So you, you get a bit of a bump in first-time buyers coming in afterwards uh, but only only at the expense of setting a new higher price in the market and for those people who didn't go in prices are that much further out of reach now so it's a expensive counterproductive policy and I would have hoped by now that state governments were learning the lessons of that and moving away from it oh,
0: well pretty blunt kind of assessment as well chris just to say nah, it doesn't work because it sounds good people hear that and they're stoked and and they're hoping that it's going to work out for them i mean it is interesting to talk about what state governments are doing individually because at a federal level you'll often hear politicians say oh that's maybe a state issue i'm um, deflecting a little bit we are heading up to a federal election next year do you think that housing is going to be a bigger focus like we saw a little bit of it in the last federal election, but do you think it's just at a point now where there's going to have to be some significant announcements, particularly for renters?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. And, and it was a, it was an issue at the last election. Um, we had the, the incoming Albanese government uh, had made some substantial promises about housing. And one of them was that it would have a, a national housing and homelessness plan. That's uh, a bit of work that is due out uh, shortly and everyone should have their their eyes on that. The um, the early signs of what was going into that plan weren't very hopeful. Um, th- they put out an issues paper that refused to talk about really important things in housing like how it gets taxed and how it doesn't get taxed and um, housing finance and they left a whole lot of stuff out that um, really should be on the table for talking about. So that's going to be a really important thing that happens quite soon, that we, we should see the plan soon. And looking ahead to the election, uh, yes, I, I do think housing is gonna be a major issue. And like you say, rental housing is gonna be an issue in a way that it hasn't um, that it hasn't for decades. Because I think in this most recent period, in the last few years, uh, we, we know from ABS analysis that uh, more people have had rent increases um, in the last five years, than, than, than previously, most most tenants have had a rent increase in the last year, and most tenants have had a much bigger increase than um, than in previous years too. So, this is something that's happened to people um, not not just looking for 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 tenancies, um, and who are facing really high new tenancy rents, but also we've seen for for current tenants, most current tenants have had a big rent increase. Um, uh, very recently too. So it's going to be front of mind for people uh, as the election comes around.
0: Well, I do want to get back in touch with you as we get closer and talk about some of the other things, because whether it's rent freezes, rent caps, there's all kinds of uh, potential solutions that uh, different politicians put out that our audience is definitely keen to hear more about. Housing expert Dr Chris Martin from UNSW, thank you very much for coming on HACC.
2: No worries. Happy to come back.
0: And we've got so many more messages coming through. Someone says, I don't see how you can solve the price of rent without solving the price of purchasing properties. If your landlord has had to pay a wildly inflated price at auction, that's going to impact the rent. The whole system clearly needs reform. Somebody else says, I'm from Brisbane, but recently moved to Sydney. Rental prices in southeast Queensland are so bad that friends in Brisbane and Gold Coast have had to move back in with their parents while I was mind blown that my rent has decreased since moving. Interesting there. And somebody else says, I saw a place advertised for 400 bucks a week on a rental app. I was accepted. And then when I went to confirm everything, they said, oh, the 400 was for a six month lease. If you want a 12 month lease, it's going to be $410. Who is looking over stuff like this? It's ridiculous. That was Rachel's message there as well. Huge issue, we're going to keep you across it, but for now, move on. Hack. If you're
1: doing something for the employer, you should be,
0: like, paid for it. On Triple Jack. How hard do you find it to switch off after work? I guess it depends what kind of work you do, what kind of person you are as well. Some people find it impossible to switch off not necessarily because they're control freaks or anything like that. Maybe you're just worried that you're going to get in trouble if you miss something, that you need to be across every development as it happens. Would it make it easier if the government told you you had a legal right to disconnect, that your boss could get in trouble if they were making you reply to emails, belling you down after work? Because some provisions on the right to disconnect are part of new workplace laws that the government's hoping to pass. They're going to be debated now that Parliament's back, and we're going to be breaking these changes down over the next week. And I'll tell you about different parts of them over the next few days. So what exactly would this right to disconnect mean? Dr. Gabrielle Golding is a senior lecturer in law at the University of Adelaide and she's an expert in employment and contract law. She's with us now. Hey, Gabrielle, thanks for coming on Hack.
3: Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for having me.
0: What is the government proposing here? Like, how would it work?
3: Look, what what's proposed currently is a right to disconnect. So, essentially, it does what it says on the tin. This is a right to allow employees who are covered by our Work Act to be able to disconnect from work outside of their normal working hours. So what that could look like is the ability to put down your emails, put down your mobile phone, switch off the laptop and and be free from work when you're actually outside of work.
2: Do
0: you think we need this? Like you've looked at this whole area for a long time. What's your analysis? How much do we need a right to disconnect?
3: Look, my sense is that particularly with developments in technology and the coronavirus pandemic in mind, both of those things together have created a real need for the right to disconnect uh, in, in recent times. So, I think while people might previously have had an ability to sort of step away from the office and really disconnect, we're now faced with Many more people working from home more often as a consequence of the pandemic, and we're also faced with devices in our pockets. Uh, Our laptops are open all the time. So there's that constant pull back into the workplace. And I think without a recognised right to disconnect, we can run into some difficulty in that the work and private life divide starts to get quite blurry.
0: Yeah, we're hearing that from listeners right now. Someone says, I've been fired from a job before because I didn't pick up my phone over the weekend when I was off the clock and away with my partner. It causes huge anxiety now when my new boss calls after hours. I feel I need to pick up even when it's not in my contract. Nathan in Newcastle, a lot of people from Newey today. Love it. Please keep hitting the text line. Nathan says, my work hours are 7 till 4.30. I regularly get calls up until 9 or 10 at night when clients finish work see their project and want to ask questions I'm sick of it and someone else says as a boss I don't allow my staff to have emails on their phone I want them to detach from work that was all in caps very clear there you've got a good boss if that one is your boss you're very lucky can I ask Gabrielle what are our rights now like if you do have the boss hitting you up all of the time is there any way you can say no?
3: Look, there certainly is, but I think the the beauty of what this right will entail is something to fall back on to actually say, look, I have a recognised right under our national piece of workplace legislation. Um, Currently, though, we have maximum working hours under the Fair Work Act, uh, but there's a a kind of catch-all clause at the end of the relevant section that says that that's subject to reasonable additional hours. And there's, I guess, a bit of a grey area around what reasonable additional hours might mean. And I would say that absent a right to disconnect, that that remains quite unclear Uh, and hopefully with a right which looks set to come in uh, through what are called modern awards and enterprise agreements. These are instruments that govern uh, many employees across the country uh, and their workplace rights. Uh, With that right coming in, it actually creates uh, a a single benchmark for everyone to be across and hopefully some clarity about what is and isn't considered uh, allowable in terms of contact outside of work. Yeah,
0: reasonable. They get you there, don't they? Yeah. How do you define <laughs> that? It's interesting. You're listening to Hackam Dave Marchese speaking with Dr. Gabrielle Golding, an expert, an expert in employment law. She's from the Uni of Adelaide. Adelaide. Wow, really struggling with this one. And we're talking about the right to disconnect, the right to say no to your boss. Say, you can't contact me after work. You work your hours and that's I'm interested to hear your stories. Like, if you've had some horror story with a boss, maybe you have been sacked, or if you just generally feel a lot of anxiety about disconnecting from work. Message in 0439757555 or call in as well 1300 055536. We've got messages coming through already. Someone says, I worked for a startup and was expected to be on call 24-7 but would not get paid overtime. Had to go to fair work because it was borderline exploitation. Another person says, would have been ideal during the pandemic when employers used work from home to blend work life and home life. And that is just what we were hearing from Dr. Gabrielle there. Another person says, if they don't pay, I don't play. (laughs) Which is a good way of looking at it. If you can do it though, like with some jobs, people feel obligated to always be answering the phone or replying to emails. Gabrielle, what's going on in other parts of the world? Like, are there other areas of Australia or around the world that have really been pretty severe with this, tried to crack down on the right to disconnect?
3: Look, within our own country, there are businesses uh, which are creating a right to disconnect of their own volition. So, for example, here where I work in the Adelaide Law School, we have our own right to disconnect uh, guideline that we follow as staff. Uh, Victoria Police has an enterprise agreement that actually incorporates the right already for their police officers. Uh, Internationally, if we look a little bit further out, France has a recognised right to disconnect and they've done so since 2017. And their right applies to businesses that are 50 employees or more in size. But the kind of difficulty with it is that it's just a right to negotiate a policy around disconnecting from work, but it's not actually suggesting that all employees must Uh, finish work at a particular time and then not be contactable at all. So it's not a blanket right. Uh, So I dare say the one that is, uh, as I understand it, being proposed now, not that I've seen the exact wording yet, uh, is going to be a bit broader than that, is going to include some more uh, than that and be a bit more specific uh, to particular workplaces and to particular industries.
0: What do you make of the arguments against this? Because we're already hearing from some business groups, for instance, who are saying, well, it's really difficult in Australia because we've got different time zones. If you're in the West and you're doing business with people in the East, maybe uh, that's just not going to work or it's just going to mean so much more red tape. That's going to be an issue. One argument that I thought was interesting was saying that it could be worse off for women, that, um, you know, flexible work arrangements... um, and people working maybe after hours uh, has benefited women in that way? Like, what do you make of those, Gabrielle?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's right to certainly question how the right should operate and what it should look like. Uh, and that, I think, is where the relevant exceptions to whatever right it is that we end up with legislatively, if we do, are. Uh, that we consider what the exceptions to it actually are and how they'll operate in particular <clears throat> occupations and industries so for example uh, ensuring that workers can still have a level of flexibility that suits them to undertake caring roles for example uh, ensuring that people are able to work across different time zones depending on the industry that they're in uh, so i think it's the devil will really be in the detail of what those exceptions are
0: it's something that people want to talk about, seeing that right now on the text line. Uh, People have so many experiences and also maybe just want to claw their personal life back. They're sick of giving everything to the bosses. That's what we're hearing. Appreciate your insight into it. I feel like we're going to be talking about this a bit more this year. Dr. Gabrielle Golding, thank you very much for coming on Hack.
3: Thanks for having
2: me. Hack. On Triple Jack.
0: That was Dr. Gabrielle Golding from the University of Adelaide speaking about the right to disconnect. A heap of messages, people wanting to talk about this, obviously. Uh, Whether feeling exploited by bosses or just saying, no, I just think this is part of the job I do. I do have to be connected all of the time. We'll keep you across the developments in that one over the next year. That is all we've got time for on this episode of The Hack Podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. Catch ya.